I like things that, uh, that last, don't you? I like the permanence of uh, salvation. I like the fact that, that when you give your heart and life to God, He brings you out of darkness into His marvelous light, that you're adopted into the family of God, and He's your Father. Is there anybody in here happy about that? I, I, and I'm, I'm excited about the way He loves me. He loves you. He loves you so deeply. And he's got great plans for your life. I, I want to just talk about the thing that I believe should be motivating us and driving us in your outreach ministry, in your family, in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, your relationship as a church together with this community. I would just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, making God your priority because you are his priority. And so if I had a title for today, it would be, You Are God's Priority. Let's, make, let's drive that home a little bit. Turn to someone beside you and say, you are God's priority. You are. You are. That's important to know. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, if you would look there with me. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version uh, uh, because it's so consistent in, with all the scriptures I'll be using today. And someone told me once, they said, my goodness, you use so many script, scriptures, you hardly have time to say anything. Well, you know, if all I did was read the word, probably be safer. Yeah. And uh, so it's when we say stuff that we get in trouble. But aren't you thankful for the scriptures? So Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage of scripture. I did a series years ago called Fences, where I just talked about the Ten Commandments themselves, where this is found in Exodus 20. And, um, but somehow it just grabbed my heart as I read it. The fact that this is so personal. You, I am the Lord, your God. Sometimes we think of God as so far off, so far away, so removed from us individually. I think he's got so many important things that he's dealing with. And I'm sure that there's a lot, there is a lot going on in this crazy world, isn't there? And God's over all of that. But to think that individually, personally, that he was speaking to me. And it, and it seemed as if I read those, those words that he was talking directly to me. That's the thing that makes the scriptures so powerful is when you take them personally. <laughs> you don't generalize them or you don't say this, this is good for someone else. But when you take it personally. And so let's read those two verses one more time. Look back, Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, Father, we just bow our head and heart before you, and we pray that you will speak to our life and cause us, O oh God, to receive this word personally. Let it get deep in our spirit and help us to make you our priority in life. And we give you the glory and the honor for that in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say amen. I mentioned that years ago I shared uh, this study, uh, the Ten Commandments that we entitled Fences, and, and uh, in our local church, and the team 
our team, it was actually just before I had transitioned the pastorate to Pastor Robbie, so this would have been around 2012, and uh, because we transitioned the pastorate eight years ago, it will be uh, October the 18th. We're coming up on an anniversary of that, that transition in succession, eight years. And, uh, and so at, uh, at that time, I'm preaching this series. I'm excited about it. And the team built a fence for me. It was behind me, and I called the study Fences. And I referred to the Ten Commandments as fences, ten fences that God built in our life. And so when you transgress or cross over those fences so that we wouldn't see them as the law, as, as uh, some tough commandment, but instead of as a loving father who had built a fence to protect us. And so with each one, every now and then, I'd cross the fence. And I'd talk about why that fence is there and when you get on the other side. And uh, I was a little more nimble back then and I could just climb right over that fence. But uh, when you think about that in your life, fathers build fences for a lot of reasons, but primarily it's to, it's not to just fence you in, but it's to keep the adversary out. Because on the other side of the fence, there is danger. And so when you see this as a loving father, when you understand that he is saying to you, you're my priority, I've built this fence for you. I built it to protect you. I'm not trying to harm you, but you need to have no other gods before me. I've got to be your priority. I need to be first in your life. There's a reason for that. It's like the, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. When you get on the other side of that fence, there's so much destruction there that the father already knows about. He knows that if you commit adultery, you're unfaithful in your marriage, it could destroy your marriage, it can wreck your life, it can cost you in so many ways, financially, spiritually, emotionally. He knows it'll devastate not just your family, your, your marriage, but your children, that they'll live with that and they'll be in a broken home. And so God says, there's just so much on the other side of this fence. Let me just put this fence up here and say, don't do it. Don't don't commit adultery. How many can thank God for a loving father who knows what's on the other side, who the things that he puts in our life and, and what we might look at as restrictions or fences, they're really there for our protection. They keep the adversary out and there's danger and there's, there's impact on the other side of that fence. Thou shalt not steal. Well, if you decide that you're going to climb that fence on the other side of it, there could be jail time. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> well, praise the Lord. That's a good word. See, when we, when we cross those, there's a reason for them. And they're built by a loving father. They're in our life to protect us. And so when it comes to the, this thought of, of you are my priority, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before you. This... It's the first one. It's the very first commandment. It, it's, it's first in so many ways. I think it's first in priority. We've got to have that right. We, we've got to have nothing else before us. He has to be the love of our life. We have to make him our priority. And so he, he has built, this fence really is a fence around your heart. It's to protect your heart. You've got to keep him number one. When you put other things ahead of him, you're going to be heartbroken. You're going to be disappointed. When you put people ahead of you, when you, when you put things ahead of him, rather, you find yourself in that position to where eventually your heart's going to be broken. Somebody's going to disappoint you. But if you put God first, even your service and labor of love and the things people do to you doesn't have the impact on you because God is first. He's your priority. They never were first in the first place. He has always been first place. 
And so you put him first. He is number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And on the other side of that fence, there are many things and people that want to take first place in our hearts. Possessions, pleasure, individuals that want to take, they're competing for your heart. They're competing for the throne of your heart. And so God says to you and I, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. And so that's his promise. It's God saying to you, and I love this, it's God saying to you, I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of sin. I brought you to the dance and I want to be the one to take you home. I love you that much. You're my priority. You're number one. You are first. You are first to me. I I brought you out of bondage. I'm the one who loves you more than anybody else. And so let me be your priority because you are my priority. You are. Turn to someone beside you and say, you're all that and a bag of chips. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that God would love us like that? And the incredible thing is in your outreach and all that you're trying to do to reach the community and reach this city, that's the way God loves people. And you, but you don't understand that. You can't get involved. You can't put your shoulder to the wheel. You can't really get involved in outreach and, and do what you need to do and really impact your city until you realize that's the way He loves me. Until you can grab hold of the fact He loves me and makes me a priority, will you ever prioritize people? Because you you can't do it until you you realize how much God loves you. Then you understand how much God loves the lost, how much He loves everybody around you. It changes everything. When you understand how much He's given for you and how much He loves you and how much He's sacrificed for you. Egypt, you see Egypt that they came out of in that day and all of the surrounding nations served multiple gods. They had all kinds of gods. When I went to India the first time, I remember traveling with uh, Timothy Malaputi, and, and I have a ring that, that he had made for me, and, and uh, the last time I saw him, he traveled by train uh, long hours through the night to meet me at an early flight, and I was ministering for the Kamanapalis, and so he took this flight over to the coast and he met me there at the airport. He stood in the crowd and watched for me. And when he saw me come off the plane, tears were streaming down his cheeks. He made this all night trip and he just comes up and says, I have a gift for you. I miss you. And he gives me this, this ring that he'd had made. It was fashioned out of that, the gold they have there and has a cross on it. And it just blesses my heart. I wear it quite often like a wedding band means that much to me and then he had to turn around and go back and left we didn't have a meal we didn't have a long conversation we just met right there in the airport he gave me that gift that's how much he cared about me that's how much he loved me I had and it meant something to me because I had no idea that he loved me like this so when his when his when he passed away uh, not too long after that ministering in the mountain villages and caught malaria and died with the brain fever Uh, I got the news from his son. My heart was just shattered. Every time I put that ring on, I think about the way he loved people and the way he loved those villages and the way he loved the lost. It motivates me. It makes me want to give my life more to God and serve God in a deeper fashion. And and so the Lord has said to you and I, others may serve multiple gods. In, In India, they serve multiple gods. There's so many gods. When Timothy, the first time he took me through on a mission trip to those same mountain villages, we're driving along in the van and every now and then we'd have to 
pull around an idol that had been put there and built and made overnight for someone to worship. And, and I'd say, what is He says, I don't know. This one someone just made. And, and they put it in the road and we can't touch it or move it. So we drive, traffic is stopped. People are moving around it. I thought there'd been an accident. They're just driving around this, this little idol that someone had made and set there in the road. So it was much like that day. Egypt had multiple gods. There were many gods they served. And so God's people are coming out of Egypt and He is saying to them, look, you, you're my pro- I brought you out. I brought you out of slavery and bondage. I brought you out because you're that important to me. So have no other gods before me. Let nothing else take first place in your life. It's important for you and I to understand that he has, he has made us his priority, that he loves us that much. Thou shalt, and it's so personal, you shall not. The King James says, thou shalt. You shall not have. That's why I love the NIV there. It's so personal. You shall not have any other gods before you. You are his treasure. You are. I don't know if you realize how valuable you are, but look, if you will, the previous chapter, Exodus 19 and verse 5, the scripture says, if you obey me fully, Exodus 19 and verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. This is God saying, everything belongs to me, but out of everything that's mine, you are my treasured possession. (laughs) And to think that he feels that way about you and I. The the King James Version uses the word peculiar. You are a peculiar treasure. Today, I don't know how it is here, but in the South, when we think of peculiar, we think of someone who's a little odd, just a little peculiar, just a little little weird. But that's not what it meant back then. It, It literally meant you are exclusively His. So God says you are exclusively mine. You don't belong to anyone else. You are exclusively mine. You are my treasure, exclusively my treasure. And when you know that and you feel that, then there's nothing in this world. As a matter of fact, he he says in verse 4 in chapter 19, he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God didn't just bring them out of bondage. He brought them to himself. And so when God brought you out of sin, he didn't just save you. He brought you to himself. And John the Revelator, the only way he could describe it is that he loves you like a, a man loves his bride. And you are the bride of Christ. You are, there's a wedding day. When, he, when you came into the kingdom, there's a celebration. That's why there's a party in heaven over every sinner who comes to God. Whenever someone is, who is lost is found, heaven has a party because God celebrates. You, you become His own treasured possession exclusively his (laughs) man that's the way he feels about you he loves you that much he really does I I remember the first time I really that that dawned on me that whole thought of of just being really that close to the Lord that important to him I was in I, I mean I've always known that there's an intimate relationship that a believer should have that I should have with with God Almighty but man, was it ever driven home. I'm, I'm visiting the hospital. This was pre-COVID. Uh, Teresa's uh, uncle, Ronnie, 
had gotten saved a little, he was an adult, uh, mature adult, I don't know, he was, he was older when he gave his heart to the Lord, but man, when he got saved, he got so drastically saved, the difference in him was night and day, and he just fell in love with Jesus and recognized how much Jesus loved him, but I had no idea how Ronnie felt, and I'm in, I go into the ICU waiting room, and his time is soon. They're telling us, he, we don't know, it's, it's soon he's going to be leaving and, and passing away. And, and uh, there's nothing more we can do for him. And he's just praying. He's constantly praying. Well, he, he was getting loud in his prayer. I'm in the ICU waiting room waiting for them to let me go see him and pray with him. And, and I can hear him back there praying. And, and he, he says out loud, everybody in there hurt. People started weeping. I mean, people were moved by his prayer. And he said these words, I'll never forget it. He said, he said out loud, he said, Jesus! It just reverberated through the, the whole waiting room. Jesus! It's me! It's Ronnie! It's your boy, Ronnie! I love you! Man, the whole waiting room is just like, Chills are going over everybody. Unsaved people are crying. I mean, it's just, I, you know me. It's your boy, Ronnie. That's the way he feels about you. You are his treasured. Do you have that kind of relationship? Have you pressed into to the love he wants to give you? Do you understand how valuable you are to him? The New Testament echoes it because the New Testament repeats that priority. Just in case some of you all were a little religious and you're, you were back there a moment ago saying, well, that's a promise to Israel and the Jews. And let me just bring you up to speed. <laughs> the New Testament puts it this way in 1 Peter 2 and 9 in reference to that very verse. It says, but you, <laughs> you, everybody say you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Thank God He loves you like that. It isn't just for any uh, nation or any other particular people. It's for you individually. That's a beautiful thing about salvation and the cross, and the blood of Jesus. It overlooks nations, and races, and the skin color, and nationality, and languages. When you come into the kingdom of God, you're brought into His kingdom. Can somebody shout hallelujah? And you become His treasured possession individually. You mean that much to God. You matter to God. And why is that important? Because when I am sick and need a healing, I need to know I matter to God. When my marriage is in trouble, I need to know I matter to God. When my children are away from God and I'm praying and interceding for them, I need to know and believe that I matter to the Lord. I, have, I am His particular treasure. He loves me. My wife, Teresa, she took it so personally and believed it so much that uh, she, she said that if God had a refrigerator, her picture would be on it. That's how much she thinks she, he loves her. Do you know even before you were saved, Jesus loved you? You were loved before you were saved, Romans 5 and 8 tells us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so why do I bring that up? Well, you might ask, you might have a question on your heart this morning, even as a Christian, as a believer. You may have this question in your heart. You may be thinking, but what about my sin? What about my struggle? 
What about this ongoing battle I seem to have? Well, I want to encourage you because your sin didn't keep him from coming to you and it shouldn't keep you from him. When Israel was in bondage, you know, the, the truth is God didn't wait for them. He came for them in their bondage. He came after them in Egypt. He didn't just love you when you got saved. He loved you when you were still a sinner. He came after you in your bondage, came after you in your sin. So when you give your life to Jesus and there's some battle, even a sin struggle going on in your life, you've got to understand that He's still your Savior. He's still your Redeemer. He came to you when you were in sin. And so how much more does He love you and care for you now that you are His own treasured possession? And so he didn't, your sin didn't hinder him from coming to you then. And I'm here to tell you, even as a believer, if you're struggling in some area of your life, it isn't stopping him from coming to you now. As a matter of fact, it's probably why I'm preaching this message. It's because he singled you out and he planned this for you and he set you up this morning and he wants you to know right where you're at currently, right now, he loves you and he's reaching out to you and he wants to change your life and make things different. Can somebody shout hallelujah? If you're struggling with sickness, if you've got a bad doctor's report, he wants you to know he loves you and he wants to heal you and he cares about you. You matter that much to him. I believe Satan himself uses our doubt of the love of God for us individually. I think he uses that against us so that when we come to pray and we have a need in our life, he reminds us, he brings up and rehearses to us our failures or our struggles or some bad and tells us we're not worthy of, of the grace of God or healing or a miracle in our life. Well, you just push all that aside and you push Satan into the background and you say, no, I am, hey, Jesus, it's me, it's Ronnie, <laughs> your boy, hallelujah, reach out to me now, I know you love me. And so he died for, not just for your sins, he died for your change. He died for the work that He's doing in you. He didn't, just, he didn't just forgive you and save you. He died to, so that you could continue to change into His image and as you behold His face like looking in a mirror from glory to glory. Listen to the words of His promise in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. The Scripture says, But because of His great love for us, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. <laughs> it is by grace you have been saved. And then it doesn't stop there. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Do you know that he's still pouring out grace in your life, child of God? He wants to continue to show you mercy and pour out his kindness upon you as a testimony to everybody about how much he loves you. He's crazy about you. I love that. And so with that in mind, shouldn't we make God our priority? Shouldn't there be something inside of us that says, you know, Lord... I want to love you like that. I, I know I can, I, I'm incapable in myself of loving you that way, but I, you have loved me so thoroughly and deeply and completely. I want to make you my priority. And that's why that verse goes on in Exodus 20 and 3, not just to say you shall have 
that I, you are my treasure. But he goes on to say, have no other gods before me. That's why it concludes with that challenge. Don't have any other gods. Don't make him your treasure. So I've made you my treasure. I brought you out. So make me your treasure. Don't have any other. No other God brought you out. No one else has loved you like I've loved you. So make me your treasure. That's a beautiful thought. I think that's in the scripture because there's a real danger of idolatry. There's something in us that drives us toward it. You remember Israel did it. The scripture tells us that there was, they proved their heart was vulnerable to, to others. And they built the golden calf, you remember, in Exodus 32. They went into Baal worship in 1 Kings 18 and 18. They were warned in Judges 16 about Dagon, the Philistine god, half man, half fish, idol. There was just something about the people of God that drifted into idolatry, that began to worship other gods, and he knew that was the bend of their hearts, so he, he, he challenges them, make me your treasure, make me your priority, love me like that. Don't have any other gods before me. And we can have divided hearts in so many ways today as well. We're a lot like Israel in that. We, God can do so much, bring us out of darkness, show us that kind of love, and and we let, I think there's three particular areas, and let me mention them to you quickly. The first is sometimes we can let family come between us and God. In Matthew 10 and verse 37, the scripture says, Anyone who loves their father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, one translation says, hate mother and father. But it's not talking about a literal hatred. It's talking about in contrast to. That's why other translations like this say anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There are people when they've lost a relationship or lost out in a relationship with a woman or a man or anything like that, they drift out of church, get away from God. They get mad at God. That person was a relational idol to them they didn't realize it but that person had become more important than God so much so that when when they lost that person when that there was jeopardy concerning that person they drifted out there are people that even make bargains with God thinking that God will listen Lord if you'll let this one love me and marry me I'll serve you oh sorry about that you might get them but you probably won't serve God and you'll probably regret it you know, there are a lot of people that got what they asked for. <clears throat> Hello. So family, even our family, there are individuals that, that won't move further in God. They won't pursue the Holy Spirit. They won't pursue a deeper relationship with God because they're afraid of offending a family member or another relationship. And so they stay in shallow waters rather than going on deeper in God because of, of relationships. And so we can have divided hearts as well. God says, no, put me first. Pursue me above everything. And then there are people that do it with money, with money. They trust in riches. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, you cannot serve both God and money. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 and 22 tells us the story you remember of what we look at as the rich young ruler. And it, it begins with these words, Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved him even though he didn't love the Lord more than his money. 
I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I want to come after you. And Jesus said, well, he goes on to say, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the scripture said at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He didn't know it, but his heart was revealed in that moment. If, if, If it comes between my money and you, well, I guess I just have to take my money. And so he knows that. He knows that there are so many things that cause us to go. Then there's danger in that. There's harm in that. How many of you realize that money isn't as important as God in your life? And you can be very disappointed if you make that your God. And then there are sexual desires. I'm not going to linger here because somebody might start throwing apples or something at me. I don't know. But I just want to talk about it just for a moment. Sometimes our sexual desires become idols to us. And we desire that more than we desire a relationship with God. Or we insist on God, you accept my sexual desire and a relationship with you too. Or that we won't have a relationship. It's just this way. I'm going to do what I want to do sexually. Doesn't matter what the scripture teaches, but I'm going to be a Christian too. And so the scripture teaches us then that's idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 tells us, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins... A person commits or outside the body, but whosoever sins sexually sins against their own body. In chapter 7 and verse 2, the Bible says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, well, that's a statement. Anybody in here would agree that sexual immorality is occurring? Since it is occurring, he says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. I could put a period right there and still be in trouble. I didn't write that. I did not write that. That's in the Bible and it's New Testament. Can we give the Lord a praise offering? It's there. So you have sexual relationships only within the context of marriage and only between a male and a female. So since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. It goes on to say, because your body is the temple of the Lord, belongs to God. So it boils down to the fact that he is God and he wants to be your main priority more than your money, more than your sexual desire or preferences. And he also wants you to be resting right in the middle of his will when it comes to your relationships. Those are touchy areas, but that's where idolatry takes place. And let me give you, before we pray, the benefits of making God your priority the benefits of making Him your priority. The first is, you live in His will. You live in His will. You're on the right side of the fence. (laughs) And you're living in the will of God for your life. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, which if you applies to relationships, by the way, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Think about that in the area of relationships. If I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding, but in all my ways submit to Him, He will make your paths straight. So I can be in God's will and my paths be as they should. I can be right in the correct path. I can be doing God's will and in His path, but I've got to put Him first. So if I make Him my priority, He makes my path straight. And think about a straight path in your marriage, a straight path in your family, a straight path in your destiny, right in the middle of the will of God for your destiny, purpose, marriage, family. Do you know God can do that for you? 
And then the scripture adds this, he will direct your steps. He will direct your steps. Proverbs 3 and verse 8 talks about the healing power of being in the will of God. It says, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Sometimes, I, I don't know when my time is or when the Lord will call me home, but I've got to tell you, He has blessed me with such incredibly good health. I'm so grateful for the health that God promises us. We're living in a difficult time with a lot of difficult things going on around us, but is there anybody in here that still believes that you can trust God with your health? Does anyone in this room still believe in miracles that God can keep you and heal you and protect you? Hallelujah, I still do. I believe that. His healing touch, health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Lastly, His abundant provision, He promises, when we make Him our priority. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord. Everybody say, Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. There's the money part. With the first fruits of your crops. Everybody say, First. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Let me give you a little, I like this, I, I like acrostics. And uh, so let me give you, with the word first, let me give you how you place God first in your life. For first, the F, finances. Turn to someone beside you and say money. Make him first in your treasure. Luke 12, why? Because Luke 12, 34 tells us where your treasure is, there will your... So if I'm going to make him first, he's my priority, then I start here and I make my treasure. I make him first in my treasure. Secondly, the I, imaginations. I make him first in my thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 tells me I can take captive my thoughts and bring them into obedience to Christ. And so don't, don't let the enemy tell you that thoughts don't hurt you. That you can think all the wrong things you want to think and it'll have no impact on your life. God says, no, I want to be first in your thoughts, in the imagination of your hearts. Let me be first. And if you want real victory in your life over sin in your physical body, start with your thought life. Take that captive and you won't ever have to worry about the sin in your body. In other words, men, as Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, we commit adultery first in our heart before we ever wind up in the seedy motel outside of town. That's good preaching right there, Brother Richard. Keep that up. And so I, it happens here first. You entertain it and you think about it long before you ever get there. And that's why Jesus said deal with it in your heart so that you don't commit it there. You take captive your thoughts. It's that way with all your sins. Take captive your thoughts and you never have to worry about a stronghold in your life. First, the R, relationships. I need to make him first in my testimony. Uh, in other words, everyone who's around me. The people I build relationships with. I need to make sure that in all my relationships, I put him first. And so there are some relationships I don't have in my life because they're just not good for me. <laughs> they're not good for me in my, my relationship with Jesus. You know what that's like. When I first got saved, I wanted to, there was just a natural inclination to follow after God and go hard after God. Well, all of my buddies were all pot-smoking Jesus freaks. I mean, I got saved in the hippie revival, Jesus movement. And that's when I came to the Lord. I was a long-haired hippie myself. Reach right back here and touch my hair. Beautiful, flowing, long brown hair. 
The wind just blew through it, whipped through it. When Teresa first met me, I was standing up in front of the church singing, Like a bridge over troubled water. Yeah, I was singing. I turned that into a Christian song, Bridge Over Troubled Water. <laughs> Teresa saw me back there, that hippie up front, and she said, God told her right then, that's who I'm going to marry. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, but that's what she said. And, and, uh, so you, the people you put around you are so important because Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. All through Proverbs, we're told that if I hang out with a fool, I become a fool. So I need to hang out with wise men. I need to hang out with the right people. And so when I got saved during that time, all of my friends were just worldly. And so the bottom line was that they'd call, they'd call and want to go out and do stuff. And I'd say, well, hey, let me tell you, I got saved. And sometimes it was an immediate click on the other line. Uh, because, you know, remember back then we had like phones. They were like on walls and set on tape. Anyway. So do you get a call on those nights and pretty soon the calls stop coming from my buddies. They're like, Richard's become a Jesus man. And so they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. God severed some of those relationships himself because they just weren't healthy. My, I was just so fervently on fire for God. But as time passes, you need to continue to guard those relationships in your marriage and the couples you hang out with and other relationships. Guard your life. Relationships. This also, and first, is stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. And stewardship is about so much more than money. Stewardship of our time. Ephesians 5, 16, 17 says, as we see this day approaching, we should redeem the time. And some of us have just been wasting a lot of time. Wasting a lot of time. I'm not going to go deep into it, but can I tell you that if you're spending more time on social media than in prayer... Are you spending time on social media but have no prayer life? <laughs> I'm just moving right along. Let's just move right along here. Praise the Lord. I want him to be first in my time. And then in troubles, the T. Troubles and trials. Test. Do you realize Proverbs 27, 5 tells us when we're in those times, if we'll go to him first, he will hide us in his pavilion. You make Him your refuge. Make Him the place you go in troubles and tests and trials. Go to Him first and believe that God can turn it all around. Trust Him. Would you stand with me? We're going to close right now in prayer. What happens? What happens when something else comes first? I don't like to just leave people with this is what we're supposed to do. I, I want to help you if, they're, if you're in a place in life. But what, what happens if something else comes first? And So we talked about what we need to do to put Him first and make Him our priority. But let me tell you what happens. If, if possessions or another person or money or anything comes between you and God, it does two things to you. First, it separates. And second, it obscures. You don't see clearly. The first, it separates. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have separated between you and your God. You've chosen idolatry, and so it has separated you from me. And so our sin has become our choice, in other words. Whatever the sin is, it, when it becomes our choice, it becomes our idol. 
And so when it becomes our priority and we choose that over the Lord or His Word or what is, the Bible says about it, and we just go ahead into it knowing, we, in other words, we climb that fence. We get on the other side. We've made a conscious decision. We've decided that I know what you say, Lord. I know what the Bible says. I know you love me as a father and you built this fence for my protection. But I want what's on the other side. And so we climb over it intentionally after the thing he has told us isn't good for us. And so we press over into that sin and we step into that situation and it separates us. Now the fence is between us and God because we've climbed it. We've scaled it. We made a choice and we chose our sin over that intimate relationship with Him. Doesn't mean He stops loving us. He's still there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us, always loves us. How many of you are glad He loves us like that? Maybe you're in that position right now where you have not put Him first, but you've put other things first, uh, even sin. And you found those things first in your life and something stands then between you and God. And that's where obscurity comes in. It says your sins have separated between you and me. It, in other words, literally, he's still there. He hasn't left. It's just what idolatry does, what sin does. When we don't have God first, he's not our number one priority. Whatever we choose above him now obscures our vision of him. See, it's, it's this way. If I choose my, my sin, it comes between me and God, God says. So there's this separation, but he's still there. It's like the clouds, they're there. They may obscure the sun on a cloudy, rainy day, but it's still there. And so what sin does is it separates in that sense. It does, he sees me, I just can't see him. I put this thing between me and him, and it's my priority right now, and I can't see God clearly. And that's a dangerous place to be because you start justifying your sin. You start because you can't see Him clearly. You, you start uh, pulling away from the people of God because you think they're trying to control or manipulate your life. And somebody buddies you on Facebook and says, Yeah, the church, those people over there are trying to control you. And, and so here you are. You've got all these people trying to keep you from the Lord and our relationships and everything else. And all the real problem is just this thing you chose over God but when you remove that in repentance there he is never left you never forsook you was there all the time the sun was still shining can somebody say hallelujah loves you still you are still his priority you're still his priority even when you're you are not allowing him to be your priority he you are still his priority he loves you he loves you that much that's what's amazing to me. That's why the elder son, as I shared last night, that's why he got it wrong. That's where he messed up. He didn't realize that this rebellious son who was away from the father and had wasted his life, this prodigal, that he was still the father's priority. I still love him. I'm still hopeful. I'm still looking for him to come home. Every day I go out and I look for him. I'm prepared. I've got a fatted calf ready for the party. I'm waiting. He's coming back. I still believe it. I believe it with all my... And so when everything was finally removed and he remembered the Father's love, he said, man, I need to get back to the Father's house 
because even servants there are treated better than I'm treating myself out here in this crazy mess I've got me into. Hallelujah. He still loves you. And so just take those steps home. If you're watching online or here in this room right now, if you can take those steps home right this minute, you can come right back to God. Yes, yes, you can. Because He already loves you, even in your sin. Loves you right where you're at. And child of God, if you're an elder son and you're, you're in the house and you're doing good, don't get jealous of our outreach to those who have drifted, of the fact that we leave the 90 and 9 to go after the 1. Don't get jealous about that. Instead, rejoice like the angels do in heaven when the 1 comes back home. Get involved in the Father's plan. And A, and realize you have always been His priority. You're in His house, and everything He has is yours. Hey, you want a calf? Get you one. That's what He told the elder son. He said, everything I have is already yours. No need to be jealous of your brother. He was lost. He was dead. He's found. Oh, hallelujah. Let's have a party. You can have anything you want. You're already here. You're already, everything he came back for, your brother came back for, you already have. Oh, thank God. Everything that drew him home is already your possession. <laughs> and so we are not jealous of the lost. We are jealous for them. They belong to our Father. Satan thinks they're his, but they belong to our Father. And so we're going to reach out and we're going to touch the lost and we're going to bring, we're going to, we want to love those people nobody else wants to love. We want to reach those people no one else is reaching out to because we have the Father's heart for them. Hallelujah. We're going to see it done. I know He loves me. So with every head bowed right now and those who are watching, if you're there and you want to give your life to Jesus or just you want to come home and give your heart back to Christ, let's pray this prayer together right now. I want everyone to pray with me. I want to do like the Father did when He ran and met the prodigal son. We're going to come and meet you where you are. Whether you're watching online or here in this room, we're all going to pray with you and walk you home. Let's all pray out loud right now. Heavenly Father, one more time. Heavenly Father, I know you love me. I know you love me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Save me. Take my life. Help me love you like you love me. I am grateful for your grace. Use my life to help someone else. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together and just magnify Jesus right now? Come on, amen. Woo! Hallelujah. There's rejoicing in heaven. When one gets saved, there's a party already going on. I'm so excited. I'm beside myself right now. Let's just magnify Him here for just a moment. Can we lift our hands up and worship Him? And just magnify Him just for a moment, if you would, lead us in something. Praise God. What a beautiful moment. Hallelujah. How I love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. Run to the Father for the